Well, good morning. So good to see you guys. Why don't we all stand? Lord, we just come before you today, God, and we are just thankful just for all that you're doing, Lord. And Father, for the things that you are about to do in this service, and we ask, Lord, may you just meet us here now. May you just draw our hearts and minds to be fixed and focus upon you and the things of you. And we just ask that you would be glorified through our praise and through our songs and through our hearts that we lift up before you now. We thank you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All I see is a battle. You see my victory. can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadows. You win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. An almighty force. 
stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadow. You win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. In almighty fortunes, you go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of sing of your goodness I will sing of your love though the seasons come quickly you've always been enough and though the night may get darker though the waiting seems long you have always been faithful remind me of your love cause you are good morning I'll sing you are good. In the evening I'll sing you are good. You are good to me. You have always been patient. You have always been kind. You're consistent through the ages. Oh, what a friend. Remind my soul to bless you, standing firm upon your truth, knowing you cannot be shaken, because I see what you can do. Because you are good, in the morning I see you are good, in the evening I see you are good, you are good to me. Keep on getting better, 
Keep on getting better. 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 Cause you are good.
Don't you get shy on me, lift up your soul. Cause you've got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. Come on, my soul. Don't you get shy on me, lift up your soul. Cause you've got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise. you get shy on me lift up your song cause you got a lion inside of those arms get up and praise the Lord so I throw my hands to praise you again and again cause all that I have is a holiday
do you all things you deserve the glory you're worthy of it all you're worthy of it all for from you are all things to you are all you deserve the glory. And all the saints and angels, they bow before your throne. And all the elders cast crowns before the Lamb of God. From you are all things. 
worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. Live for you. Jesus, a name above every other Jesus, the only one who could ever say, worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, live for you, oh, we live for you, Zoli, no, there is no one like you, there is none beside you, open up my eyes,
just thank you God we thank you for how good you are to be able to sing of how worthy you are God to sing those songs it just puts into perspective how unworthy we are and yet to think that you find pleasure in hearing us sing those very words oh God may you just overflow our hearts with gratitude with just a thankfulness of what you've done in us of the forgiveness that you've brought through our lives Lord we invite you to continue to speak to our hearts continue to minister to us Lord may you just draw us right at the foot of your cross, God, and that we would be reminded of all things that you have done within us and that we would just be moved to say, thank you. Thank you, God. You are good. You are worthy. What a privilege to be here with everybody singing to you, God. And so we just pray that you would be glorified through the study of your word. May you be blessed, God. It's in Jesus' name we all pray. Amen. Amen. Why don't we turn around and say hi to somebody? Hi, Calvary La Habra. We look forward to seeing you at these upcoming events in November. Monday, November 21st, we'll be viewing the premiere of The Chosen at the Regal Cinema in La Habra. The showtime is at 7.10, so get your tickets before they sell out. We'll be delivering Thanksgiving meals to our community Wednesday, November 23rd. Scan the QR code to see how you can get involved or sign someone up in need. Well, hello, church family. Uh, from myself and Lori. And who do we have with us? We have our beautiful grandchildren. We have Ezra here and Scotty Girl. And Scotty Girl. And we just wanted to, to wish you guys uh, an amazing Thanksgiving. Uh, as Paul would tell the church in Thessalonica that we need to be thankful in all things. And we are very thankful for our family, for being grandparents now. This one's moving around a lot. Uh, but we're thankful for you guys. And may you guys have an amazing celebration as you're thanking God for your family and for all that he has blessed you with uh, this year and as we're looking forward into the next year as well. So we love you. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> God bless you all. God bless you. Oh, that little one.
Well, good morning. Good to see you guys here. Thank you for being here. Look forward to going through God's Word with you this morning. So let's turn our Bibles over to 1 John. We are currently in chapter 2. And um, John lets us know in this first letter why he um, is writing the letter, the purpose of his writing the letter. And chapter 1 he talked about, I'm writing these things that your joy might be full. How many of you guys could use a little more joy in your lives? Yeah? <laughs> uh, yeah, we all watch the news this week. We could use some joy in our lives. And in chapter 2, he says he's writing this letter in order that we might not sin. Interesting. Chapter 2, there's the warning. We'll get to that in the latter part of the chapter about writing about the danger of false teachers. And um, we'll see how he, this heart to want to make sure that the philosophies of the world, the ideologies of the world, the wisdom of the world, that it's not affecting who you are as a Christian. It's not affecting your relationship uh, with the Lord. And then in chapter 5, you begin to sum it up a little bit by saying, I'm writing these things that we might believe on the name of the Son of God and that we might know that we have eternal life. And so a quick read through this, you'd say, this guy really wants us to have the kind of relationship that God designed us to have. This guy really wants us to have a personal, intimate, loving, growing, maturing relationship with God. He really wants this. And, and he's an older guy. He's, he's writing from experience as well. He's not just like, you know, he has, he has spent three and a half years with the other disciples, walking with him, um, getting to know him, watching his miracles, his his gospel, as he wrote his gospel, he wrote with non-believers in mind, and he gave eight miracles in his gospel that Jesus did, evidencing the fact that he is God. And he would say, I write these things in his gospel, that you might believe in Jesus, but that you might believe that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing that, putting your faith in him, you would have life in the word zoe, spiritual life and eternal life in his Name. That was his heart for non-believers, that they would enter into this relationship with Jesus um, in his gospel. But then he moves into his epistle, and he's older. Uh, most believe he's at least in his 90s. And he's seen now a lot of people put their faith in Jesus. He's seen a lot of people have their lives transformed, and they're following Jesus, and they're walking with Jesus. And now he's writing this letter to believers, with believers in mind, Wanting them to have the fullness, everything that God intended them to have in a relationship with him. And so as we go through chapter 1, he, he talks up a bit, reminding them of who Jesus is as God. He reminds them of this amazing relationship we can have by walking with God, walking in the light of season, the light speaks of fellowship with God. It's a real relationship with God based on love. We can have that. And then he begins to talk about some things that could hinder that relationship. Things that could harm that relationship. Things that would have an adverse effect on our relationship with God. And one of those things that he began to address um, was the topic of sin. That's why in these three little letters that he writes, 
he mentions the word sin or talks about the topic of sin 27 times. In his epistle, in his gospel, excuse me, he talks about the topic of sin 21 times. And thus far we have seen that sin is real, that the consequences of sin is real, broken fellowship with God, and that God has the ability to deal with our sin, to pardon our sin, and to restore that relationship with us. In the last study we had in verses 3 through 6, he talked about another concerning part of our relationship with God, and it would be, you know, okay, you've known him, you're walking in fellowship with him, but now I'm concerned that some of you might be getting a bit insecure in your relationship with God. You lack the assurance and you lack the confidence of knowing that you really are saved. You lack the assurance and the confidence of knowing that you really are forgiven or that you're really going to heaven. And so he, he, he does as, an, as like a father would do in a, a relationship with a child. He, he, he speaks those things to assure them of their relationship with him if they're questioning that, if they're doubting that, if they're insecure in their relationship with their father. And so what does he say? He says, listen, there's some ways that you can be assured. You can be assured that you are saved. Number one, we talked about this. And again, it springboards into where we're going next. But in verse 3, he says, By this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. And he's like, you want the assurance of salvation? You want to know that you really know him and you are saved by him? Well, look at the idea of you're keeping his word. And the word keep there speaks more of just the action. Obedience is the action. But it talks about an attitude as well. Our attitude towards God's word. You see, it's a loving relationship. And so we should, we should love God. How do we know that we, we love God? How do we know that we know God? We're going to love him. And we're going to love what he says. We're going to love what he what, what words encourage us? What words challenge us? We're going to love his word. We're going to want to keep his word. And then another way of being assured that we are saved is in verse 5. He goes like, hey, by this we know that we are in him. What is that? In verse 6, he who says he abides in him, he who says he's walking in fellowship with Jesus, depending on Jesus, well, you ought to walk just as he walked. And he's saying, you, you'll know that you're really saved because the Holy Spirit's in you, convicting you. The Word of God is directing you. And you are, you are finding yourself in this new life. You're a new creation. And you're living a life that, that Jesus has patterned for you. And that's another way to assure you that you are in this right relationship with God, that you really are saved, that you really are forgiven, you really are going to heaven. And then the, the third way that he talks about having assurance is by our love for one another. That's evidence. Verse 10, he who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause of stumbling in him. We talked about character or conduct, excuse me, is the best evidence of, of character. And so, you know, we, we begin to, to love others in the body of Christ and treat others in the body of Christ as Christ would love them and treat, and treat them. And that's, that's great evidence. Again, 
John is giving us these tests because he wants us to have the confidence that we need to have. He wants us to have the assurance that we need to have that we truly are his, that we truly are born again, that we truly are children of God. And that plays a major role in being in having an effective relationship with him, a genuine relationship where we're growing deeper and more intimate with God. That's what he's been talking about, and that leads us into verse 12 where he says this, and he kind of summarizes the body of Christ. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I've written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. And I've written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you. Now, if, if you're reading this like for the first time, you might be thinking, hey, John, you're, you're, you're older and you're looking back at the body of Christ and you're you're like segregating the body of Christ by chronicle age. He's not doing that at all. What he's talking about is, is our spiritual life and where we are in this journey of faith. Are we spiritually young, like new to the faith, or are we spiritually old? Have we some years now in following the Lord? And so the reference to little children in verse 1 is unique because he uses that phrase twice in both places. He uses a different Greek word. In this introduction, it's almost like an aged John looking at the body of Christ. Everybody would be quite younger than him. He's in his, let's go 90s, early 90s. The average lifespan when John wrote this was probably in the higher, mid to four, upper 40s. So John's writing to all these younger people for the most part. He's looking at the body of Christ as a whole when he says, look, I'm writing to the little children, to all believers regardless of age. The word little means born ones, referring to all who are born into the family of God by putting faith in Jesus. Then the reference to fathers here again, he's referring to the more mature, those that have walked with the Lord for a season of time. And then the term young men refers to those who have been a Christian for a shorter length of time. You might say spiritual novices. So spiritually speaking, God's people are at different levels of spiritual maturity. Even John, when he wrote his gospel, he, he spent some time reflecting upon the the time that Jesus spent with him following his resurrection. And in John's Gospel, chapter 21, you remember the disciples who went fishing. Jesus shows up on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. They come in. They eat with him. Jesus pulls Peter off to the side. And he begins to talk about what he wants Peter to be. And he, he questions him, do you love me? It's a good question. Peter had denied him three times. It's a good place to start. Do you really love me? You know, But the things that, that Jesus was really trying to communicate, I believe, to Peter was, I'm not done with you. I've got a plan for you. And it involves my people. It involves you 
ministering to my people. And the way that he described that, the way that he pictured that, would be Peter being a shepherd and there's be, there being a flock. And Jesus described the flock this way. He goes, if you really love me, you need to feed and tend my sheep. If you really love me, you need to feed and tend my lambs. And the idea behind that was, hey, Peter, listen. There's going to be people, as you begin to minister on my behalf, that have walked with me and followed me for a period of time. And they're mature in the faith and they're growing in their faith. Continue to feed them. Continue to love them and tend them. And then, Peter, there's going to be some. They're new to the faith. And you're going to need to feed them. And you're going to need to, to tend them as well. And so, spiritual maturity is a process that oftentimes has little to do with physical age. We all start out, if you will, as spiritual infants. But, again, we are not to stay that way. So, in verse 12, I write to you, little children, to all believers, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I want you to really lean in on what I'm about to say. I know about halfway through a Bible study, we can be thinking about brunch. Don't think about brunch. But I want you to take this in. I want you to think about why Peter, excuse me, why John, <laughs> now I've really got your attention, why John is starting with this topic of forgiveness. He's addressing the body as a whole. He is starting off talking to all of us. And he starts off with this topic of forgiveness. I believe he does so is because forgiveness is, the, is a fundamental experience of the Christian life. It's the condition of fellowship with God and one another. Where would we be in our relationship with God without forgiveness? Where would we be in our relationship with one another in the body of Christ without forgiveness? So forgiveness of our sins is the one thing that all true believers have in common. I did this exercise in the first service, and I'm going to do it now. If you are a sinner, raise your hand. All right, keep your hand up. If you have been forgiven of your sins, raise your other hand. Now, this is as Pentecostal as we'll ever get around here. Look around the room, all right? Isn't that awesome? Okay, you can put your hands down. So we're all in agreement with him, are we not? Okay, we're sinners. Now, the thing that I think is important, again, John is writing this, not because you don't understand this. John is writing this because he never wants you to grow distant from this. Okay? You have been forgiven for his name's sake. Our sins are forgiven because of what Jesus has done on the cross. We hear the name of Jesus, the name of God, if you will. It speaks of his character. We are forgiven on the basis of who he is and what he has done on the cross. In other words, my sins really aren't forgiven for my name's sake. They are not forgiven for anything that I have done or I have deserved, but because of what Christ has done and earned for me and earned for you. Isaiah 43, 25, God says, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake 
and I will remember your sins no more. Now, now, now track with me here. Some very powerful words. Three very powerful words. I forgive you. Think about someone you know, someone that you love, someone you care deeply about, and the relationship has been challenged. There's a wrong that needs to be made right. And they come to you. And, I, and, and it's a relationship you want to continue. You know it should continue. Just go there in your mind's eye. And think of how powerful those words are from that person. I forgive you. Think of how it alters the course of the relationship. Think of how it bolsters the relationship, gives opportunity to the relationship, strengthens, fortifies, advances the relationship. When someone, when someone says to you that you love, someone that you want a relationship with, but there's some issues, and they say, I forgive you. Wow. Now think about God. Think about God saying those words to you. You and I who raised our hands were born sinners with sinful nature. We could never have a relationship with God if he didn't forgive you, if he didn't forgive me. And think about, it wasn't just the words. Think about those words that someone might say to you, I forgive you. Then think about them doing something that proves to you they have indeed forgiven you. How freeing is that? What does that do to your relationship with them? Now again, let's think about God and his, Lance, I forgive you. Hang on, you really know all the list. You forgive me? And then I think about, he didn't just say it. He sent his son to forgive me. And so John's writing to the whole church, hear me, and he's worried about their relationship with God being something less than what God desires it to be. And he's just talking about some things along the way that could have an adverse effect upon that relationship. And then he'll kind of circle back and, and go, yeah, but... Remember who he is. Yeah, but remember, you have fellowship with him. And remember, you're forgiven. Remember, it's for his name's sake. So over and over in this passage, John is going to be bringing up some things about our relationship. Don't miss, don't miss this. I'm going to say it a few times. He's going to bring up some things about our relationship. Things speaking to believers... Things that got us there. I want you to remember that your sins are forgiven. You, by God, for his name's sake. Remember what he has done in order to bring you into this relationship with him. Then in verse 13, I'm writing to you, Fathers, because you know him, you know Jesus, who is from the beginning. 
Now he's talking to spiritually mature people in the church. And he associates their being spiritually mature to their knowledge of God through Jesus Christ. And when he uses that word knowledge, it's not just the accumulation of facts. It's the experiential knowledge. It's the knowledge of God by having a continual relationship with him through his son. There's something special about the mature saints around us that have, that have walked with God and, and, and the fragrance of Christ exudes from their life. There's something about watching someone that has had some, some ups and downs with the Lord, but they continue to hold on to the hem of his garment. They continue to fall back. Their default is on his word, the promises of his word, the strength of his spirit. No matter you know, what they're going through, yeah, they, 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 they sorrow, they, they hurt, they weep, and all of those things. But you see that they are standing in the Lord, as Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 6, and in the power of his might. There's the strength of the Lord. There's the shoring up of the Lord. There's the, the assurance of the Lord. There's the hope of the Lord. There's the joy of the Lord, even in the midst of a very, very difficult time. And we, we see that in the seasoned saints, and it builds our faith to see the fragrance of Christ and their dependence on Christ and the guidance of Christ and even their, their heart to want others to know Christ. We see that in those seasoned saints. We're like, that is just so impressive, it's so amazing. I'm writing to you, young men, in verse 13. Those of you that have been Christians for a shorter length of time because you have overcome the wicked one. And so all of these like things that John is highlighting about the different, the younger, the babes in Christ, the, those that have walked for a little bit with Christ and those that have walked a long time for Christ, we can apply that to all of us. We can apply any part of this to our life. But Christians... Christians are people who, who can overcome the devil through their victory in Christ. Young men. Younger Christians can be like, be like young men in the sense that they have strong passion, they have high emotions, they have idealistic vision, and they have inexperience. The teenage years... Oftentimes we look at the teenagers and we're like, wow, it's kind of like a roller coaster, but it's an emotional roller coaster. Experience is something you've got to, you've got to spend time with someone or time doing something. Inexperience is cured by living life over a period of time. And so John appeals to the, the spiritual vitality of the the, not younger in age, but those that are they're, they're young in the Lord. And he's like, remember. And maybe we could do it, do it like this with all of us. Remember when you first got saved, how fired up you were? Yeah. Okay, I'm, pretend you're born again, okay? <laughs> remember when you first got saved? Yeah. How just fired up you were? Yeah. yeah. 
I, 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 can, I can think back on so many people and how just zealous they were, just idealistically, just, oh, I can do anything, and they just had all this. And then, you know, their highs were really high, and then when things didn't work out, their lows were really low, right? And John is like, you know, I, I, I just want to appeal to that. Maybe you don't have the experience as the seasoned saint. You know what? You're doing well. You're overcoming the temptations of Satan in your life. You're finding victory. Fight on. And let's circle back on this. But in verse 13, he says, again, I write to you little children because you have known the Father. So he moves from these young men and he goes to these, this word, little children. And as we noted earlier, it was used in one reference as far as to the general body of Christ. Now he's using a different Greek word, and it's talking about like spiritually immature, not the fact that while wow, you're just newly in the body of Christ, it's just recently that you've accepted the Lord. No, he's talking about people that have accepted the Lord. It could have been a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, 10 years ago, but you're not maturing. You're not growing spiritually. He's got those ones in mind. And what he says about them, he's like, you've known the Father. You're saved, but you're not maturing. Now, the scriptures, there's a couple of different references to spiritual infants. The first, again, would be, would be Christians that are newly born again. And like newborn infants, new Christians, they, they, they need the same thing as a new infant to grow. Before I was back here, we, I was watching Scotty in the back, and she's seven months. She, she needs a lot of help to grow. She will not feed herself. Well, she's starting to right now, but she's just, just getting there. She needs mom to help her in every way, or grandma, grandpa, whoever. But the bottle, whatever, the feeding, she needs help being fed. You know what she needs? She needs to be loved. She needs to be nurtured. She needs to be coddled. She needs to be affirmed. She needs to be rocked. She needs to be comforted. And let me tell you, that takes an army. She needs a loving family around her, a mommy and a daddy. Grandparents, whatever you want to call yourself, they're going to call you what they want to call you, by the way. Just get that straight. But they need the family that will feed them and love them and nurture them. Amen? And so it is. For newborn babes in Christ, people who are newly born again, they need to be fed. They need to be fed God's word. That's why Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 2, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. And as a newborn babe in the Lord, I need to be fed, absolutely, but I also need to be loved if I'm new in the Lord. We all do, but a newborn babe all that much. The new Christians around here need to be loved and nurtured and, and encouraged. They need a loving family around them. And I'm so honored to be part of a loving family. And I thank you for being a loving family that cares for one another. We baptized a bunch of people on Wednesday night. And the the, the, there was just a, lots of tears in the water and the love and the appreciation and just the support around all of those people being baptized was 
It was amazing. The New Testament also talks about a different kind of spiritual infant. Not just those that are newly saved, but again, those that have been saved, but they're not growing. In 1 Corinthians 3.1, Paul says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, like spiritually maturing people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I, I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And, and even now, you're still not able, for you are carnal. And so if somebody is not growing spiritually, they're going to be getting more fleshy. And Paul looked at the church and what he was hearing. Paul's writing this letter as a response to what he was hearing about the church and their lack of spiritual growth in Corinth. And the, the response was the founding pastor really calling out some of those things that he saw that were the result, listen, of stunted growth. And he labeled it, it's carnal, it's your flesh. And, and, and as he would list off those things, you go through 1 Corinthians, you're like, whoa, there were some real issues there. There were issues with, with sexual immorality. There were divisions in the church. There were people in the church that were suing one another. There were problems with marriage. There were problems with divorce. There was neglect of the needy. There was abuse of spiritual gifts. There was the abuse of coming to the Lord's table and making it about them and not about Him. They were carnal. They were babes in Christ because they were not growing spiritually. What did He tie their lack of spiritual growth to? You weren't taking in God's word. You should be at the, at the point in time right now where you should, be, <coughs> you should be off the bottle and you should be having a big old ribeye in front of you of God's word and be consuming that baby. But you're not. So I write to you little children because you've known the Father. Again, his desire to see everyone experiencing the kind of relationship that God would have for them, even those who are not growing and maturing. So what does John do? Does he, does he condemn them? No, he reminds them, hey, you, you've known the Father. You're, you're saved. It's part of who you are. You have a personal relationship with God. Nothing in the world can replace that. No one can offer you more than that. Listen, so stick to what got you there. Now, if you're new around here, you don't, mind, you don't know my history. Before I stepped in the ministry, said yes to God, I shaped surfboards. That was my thing. But I started as a hobby. I just loved it. I, I loved the craft. I loved everything about it. But I went from having... The, the, the benefit of making surfboards as a hobby to making surfboards as a career. It began to be my job. And, and I remember when I, when I got to that particular point in time, I had to take a few things very serious. The things that got me from where I was, just as this green novice, not even knowing how to shape, I had to be mindful of those things that got me from there to where I was now as a surfboard manufacturer. 
my, my, my labels in the magazines. I've got a team. I've got a business now. I've got a following now. I've got responsibilities now. And, and I needed to stay true. Listen, I needed to stick to the things that got me there. Those people who poured into me, those people who invested in me, those people who trained me, those people who educated me, those people who equipped me, I needed to keep, keep doing what they told me to do, keep applying those things that got me there, the disciplines that it took, the responsibility that it took. And I believe this is exactly what John is saying here. You guys, you just need to remember that you have a personal relationship with God. You need to remember that nothing can replace that. You need to remember that he forgave you, and it's for his sake how that happened and why that happened. You need to be fed spiritually to where you grow and mature. You need to be in the Word. You need to place yourself in a loving, nurturing family so that you can be loved and nurtured. Don't neglect that. Nothing in the world can replace that. Stick with what got you there. So again, 14, I've written to you fathers because you've, you've known him, Jesus, from the beginning. In fathers, referring to the spiritually mature again, kind of circling back on them, he's like, look, it's, it's not about the time, the amount of time. It's about what you did during that time you've walked with God. What does he say? Because you have known him. Because you have, I'm, I'm talking to you, I'm appealing to this. You have lived a day in and day out experiential life with Jesus. You've known him from the beginning. Your focus has been on him. Your focus has been on who he is, what he has done. Jesus has been your life. Jesus is your life. Nothing in the world can replace that. Nothing can offer you, no one can offer you more than that. So stick to what got you there, you that are spiritually mature. The second or third week of this January, I'm working on something that God has put on my heart over the last few weeks, and it's kind of like, we've hit 30 years as a church, okay? Amen. So I joke with the first service, like, I'm going to put a picture of me 30 years ago up here, and then a picture of me now. You, won't, you have to guess which one's which, but it's a joke, it's a joke. I'm proud to be 63. I'm okay with it. But what God has put in my heart is to stand in front of the church after 30 years of your faithfulness, of our faithfulness, of God's faithfulness, and say, what is it that God is here? I'm going to highlight that. And then I'm going to look into the, eye, into the eyes of this church, and I'm going to say to the young ones here, to the not-so-young ones here, 40-somethings. I'm going to address you specifically. Your part, stick to it. Us who are getting seniored, us who are getting in those senior saint years, Amen. 
I'm going to say to Lee and a bunch of others here. Will you walk with me and help me finish well? Yeah. And then we're going to address some of the challenges facing the church through the world. And I'm going to look at you in the eyes as I've categorically identified who you are and what God expects of you. And I'm going to say, will you all walk with me another 30 years if the Lord were to tarry? Maybe a little, but you know what I'm saying. Will you take the mantle, younger generation? Will you who are halfway there run just like you did when you were younger? Will you, like me and Lee, and will you run just like you started? And I believe that's what John has in mind here. The, the, the goal, really, when you look at this, isn't so much the, the, hot, the, the focal point isn't like what you do for him. The focal point is on what he's done for you and what he wants to continue doing in you and through you, will you be all in? Stick to what it was that got you here. And so again, comes back to the young men in verse 14. Write to you young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. What is it that, that, that he wanted to highlight first? There's strength. Of course, there's spiritual strength. But, you know, I think, I think about the comparison. He's like young men. You think about that. And, and I, I can remember when I was in my 20s and the vitality, the strength I had when I would, when I would serve. I was never intimidated by waves. I don't care what was going on out in that ocean. I was like... Let's go. Let's do it. I wasn't afraid of big waves. I wasn't afraid of reef breaks. I wasn't afraid of, I wasn't afraid. I, had, I was fearless. I was in shape. I had strength. A few weeks ago, we were teaching some people to surf here. And man, we were all, the boards were laid out and the biggest swell of the year hit. I didn't know it. I just wasn't paying attention. I walked up and went, <laughs> Mike's here. He paddled out. He's crazy. <laughs> and Dan and some others. But it's the first time. And it wasn't easy. It was the first time in my history of surfing, and I've surfed since I've been 12, that I looked at some waves and I said, not today. And Lori was there. It was so embarrassing. <laughs> I have convinced her otherwise. And I just, I, I'm beginning to be wise. I'm not as strong. Now, when I, I paddle out with these young guys that are in their, their teens and their 20s, I, I put my suit on. I still think I'm 20. I still think I'm 25. I got it. Let's go. I think I look like I looked when I was 25 in my wetsuit. <laughs> Lori does. So that's all that matters. But when I paddle out, those young guys, they're duck diving. They're beating me out. I, I don't get all like, and weepy and bummed. I admire that. You accept reality, man. Look at that guy. He's a stud. That used to be me. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. And I think 
John here is like, hey, you that are younger in the Lord and you're growing, you better remember why you're growing. You better remember what brings spiritual vitality and spiritual strength if you want to have the relationship that God has designed you to have. It's because of the word of God that abides in you. What a compliment to the, to the church. That the word of God has found a deep, settled place in their life. What does that mean? That means that these individuals are disciplined in making the time and taking the time to take God's word in. But they're also disciplined in living it I, I see some guys that I'll be out and about in town, and I, I just, in my, under my breath, I go, he's a gym rat. That guy goes to the gym. You don't get that way by not going to the gym. He's got no sleeves on his shirt for a reason. I'm wearing full sleeves today for a reason. <laughs> but, but, but that individual, whoever it might be, I'm like, wow, that's discipline. That person had a Nothing else, this is what I'm doing on a regular basis. But then you just go there and stare at the weights. They actually, like, worked out with weights. And, and it is true for anyone that we would compliment that is younger in the faith but is growing stronger and maturing in the faith, it is equally true that they, they are disciplined with their time to where they would take the weights of God's word, if you will, and work them into, work his word into their life and then apply it, living it out. The psalmist says in Psalm 1-2, that his delight is in the law of the Lord because he meditates on it day and night. Wow, some discipline. The benefits of gaining spiritual strength by abiding in God's word and taking it in is, he's like, you, you've overcome the evil one. You know, Satan really has no authority over a believer's life unless we yield authority to him. We don't have to give ground to the devil. The authority that we have in Christ, man, it's because we're united in Christ. And that means Satan has no authority over us unless we give him authority or power over us. And the best way to deal with that is to know God's word. It's exactly what, what Jesus did when he was tempted in the wilderness. He had been, been fasting and led away into the wilderness in Matthew's gospel and, and the tempter, Satan, came. Verse 3, chapter 4 of Matthew. And he's like, hey, command these stones. He's in the desert. Command this, these rocks to become bread. Turn the desert into a bakery. What was he doing? Ultimately, he's questioning his father. The father had sent his son for a specific purpose. The will of his father he came to do. John chapter 17. Ultimately, he's challenging that. How's he going to do that? He's going to get him, try to get him, which it won't work, tempt him to 
to question the Father's provision, his care. How did Jesus deal with that? You're hungry? You've been fasting? Woo! Start smelling like a bakery in your mind? You're like, yeah. And that temptation, how did he thin off the authority, the power, the influence of that temptation from the enemy? He answered, it is written, the word of God. Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then he leads him up to a mountain, or to the pinnacle, excuse me, of the temple. And he's like, throw yourself down. And then Satan misquotes some scripture. He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone and whatnot. And he was trying to question the will of the Father, the heart of the Father, as it relates to his protection. How did Jesus handle that. Again, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Then he takes him up onto a mountain, and he showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. And he's like, hey, all of this will be yours if you just bow down and worship me. Satan, <laughs> bad idea. What was he doing there? He's questioning the promise of the Father. Jesus says, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. The secret of spiritual growth is knowledge of God's word and living out God's word. Satan is a a slithering snake who deceives in the scripture. In 1 Peter 5, 80, he's a roaring lion. Knowledge of God's word takes the fangs out of the serpent and the teeth out of the lion. Hear me. There is nothing to worry about about a toothless snake or a toothless lion. Amen? Amen. That's what the word of God does. So stick. You're victorious. You're having victory over temptation. You're having victory over Satan, his power, his influence. Stick to what got you there. So, if we want that deeper, more intimate relationship with God, we need to be mindful of that relationship. We're saved. It's part of who we are. There's nothing in the world that can replace that. No one can offer us more than that. Stay mindful of what God has done for us. He forgave us for his namesake. Spend time focusing on Jesus. Nothing can replace that. No one can offer you more than that. Spend time. In the word. Meditate on it day and night. Take it in. Live it out. It will mature you. It will strengthen you. It will give you victory over Satan. Remember you have become strong. Because you have given God's word. A deep place in your life.
You guys know, I use this phrase with my girls as they would leave the house growing up. I'd look at them. And in a humorous way, I used the wrong grammar. But I just said, remember who you is. And I always had them thinking about that. And I always would tell them, you're a child of God placed under the care of Lance and Lori Cook. Remember who you is. So remember who you is. Your sins are forgiven. You've come to know God personally and intimately through a saving relationship with his son. You are walking in the light as he is in light. You are walking in fellowship with God as a result of being born again. And that fellowship can deepen. That intimacy can deepen. So walk in the assurance of who you are and what he has done. Know that our fellowship with him and our fellowship with one another can be strengthened and can be deepened. As I look at the world, we, we wake up in each day. I do worry. I'm not a worrying type. But in the right sense, in the proper use of that word, I do worry about my family, my, my kids, my grandkids, because of the course the world seems to be, the world is on, not seems to be. I worry about the church. I worry, I, I picture you when I pray for the church. I picture people. And my worry isn't like, I don't believe God can't come through. I don't believe God is coming through. My worry is that any one of us would fall short and just be less of what he has designed us to be. That any one of us would just not tap into him or the resources that he has given us, prayer, his word, his spirit, to help us navigate through this world. I worry that, that the voices of the world, if you will, could be louder than the voices of our God. I worry. I care. I love you. I want, I want you as John would want us to have the kind of relationship that God has designed. So let me boil it down with these two things. And I say this with my heart. I'm sitting out there as I say this. I'm, I'm saying this to us. Keep your focus on Jesus, people. Get to know him more. Okay? Just get to know him more. Spend more time with him in prayer. Put on more worship songs that take you to the throne, that talk about him. Spend more time with him. Get to know him more. May he be your default. Things aren't going good, run to him more. Secondly, I know you're in a Bible teaching church. Raise your Bibles up. If they're on a phone, iPad, whatever, praise God, he works through iPads. I have mine right here. Except I'm taking pictures of you as I teach. Just kidding. So what are you saying, Lance? Get to know that book more. Get to know God's word more. Get to know the author more. 
and he will navigate you through this world in a way where you will experience joy. You will experience victory. And you will go up when he comes down back for you. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. <laughs> and on that note, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Is Brian here? That's a no. That's a yes. We will uh, have a Thanksgiving service Wednesday night. Uh, it's an hour service. Randy Dickinson was here to give a little bit of just God's part in the history of our nation relating to Thanksgiving. You're going to second part it this coming Wednesday night. Um, and then, man, may you have a blessed time with your family. I would encourage you to, um, and we'll put some stuff up on Facebook and all the stuff, some cool scriptures and quotes and stuff. But before you, you do the eat thing, before you break into the food, I would just challenge you in your home, if you don't, go around the room and ask people what they're thankful for. And when it comes to you, aha, please mention his name. His name is Jesus. And help them understand why you're so thankful for him. Read some scripture and then pray. Take it to him. Use that time to bring your family to the throne. God will meet you there. Turkey will taste way better. God will meet you there. You'll have a blessed meal. And then uh, we'll be back here the following Sunday and we'll continue. Where is John going next? You almost get the feeling like he's setting you up. And what is he going to talk about next? The world. He's talking about who God is. Love him. Be devoted to him. And then he's going to talk about the world. He's going to say, do you not, don't dare love that world. That's all passing away, the lust of it, the lust of the flesh, the, the, the pride, all of that. It's all passing away. We're going to be there next Sunday. So be prayed up. And I would encourage you, I know you have, you have friends that, um, and relatives that don't know the Lord. I'd encourage you next week, would be a great, it's a great week anytime to bring them here, but it's going to be a good topic for them to hear what God's word says about the world they live in. Okay? So we'll sing this last song and you'll be dismissed. God bless y'all.
have a great week, great weekend, and great holidays if we don't see